I feel like intimacy with yourself has to involve catastrophic grief. You know, the knock you to your knees, I can't catch my breath grief. And that you find pieces of yourself and definitely some compassion that is inaccessible otherwise. If you don't fall down and grind your face into the asphalt a little. We're all alone And we're all Welcome to Alone Traveler's Guide to the Divine, a podcast for dreamers, seekers, healers, and anyone on their healer's journey. My name is Amanda Lux, and I'm the creator of the Elevation Hive School and Community for Energy Medicine and Dream Work. And this is the second episode in a series on soul care, which is a term that I've created and I write about in my book, The Soul Care Workbook, which offers a multidimensional view of tending to the deeper self or tending to our whole self beyond the physical body or even our emotions or mental states, which is implied in self-care. But soul care really goes beyond that, incorporating tools and exercises based in polarity therapy that help us to tend to our energy body as well. In this series of episodes, I am sharing some poems from the book. Uh, I write a poem for each of the elements, and I will be opening each episode in this series with those poems. And in each episode, I will be focusing on soul tending by exploring sort of the, what we call in polarity, the negative and positive poles of each element. And today's element is the ether element. And we're focusing on the continuum of grief and bliss. Those are the positive and negative pole experiences that reside in our ether or our throat chakra. So I invited a really dear friend of mine, Kelly Watkins, to share some of her wisdom around this topic from a polarity perspective. She is an incredibly wise, learned person, and she is going through her own cancer journey and has probably endured more loss than anybody I've ever met in my entire life with so much grace. She spent most of her life supporting other people through their grief, I would definitely consider her a grief expert. She was a hospice nurse for nine years and labor and delivery nurse for the same amount of time. She works now doing polarity therapy with and leading mourning circles where you mourn uh, and grieve together, which is a, just a beautiful thing for people who have experienced all kinds of trauma and loss. And, you know, just anyone who's been human and had challenges, you're all welcome to attend. So I'm excited to share that conversation where Kelly and I discuss grief and some of her her wisdom and some helpful tools and suggestions that she offers. But before I get into the interview, I wanted to just give a little bit of context around this energetic continuum of the ether that I was sharing and kind of offer a little attunement to the ether and a little story. So it's going to be a juicy episode full of resources. And if you're listening to this and you're in the throes of grieving something, this is definitely going to offer some medicinal bits for you. And if you're you're not there currently and you're wondering, well, why would I want to 
uh, dip into grief, how would that even serve me to consider? <laughs> I mean, don't we usually want to keep grief away? <laughs> if we're not in it actively, why would we want to go there is really what I wanted to say. And I want to just offer this idea that we all experience grief and at different times. And especially in our culture, there's not a lot of resource and or encouragement to really fully experience our own grieving. It's often encouraged that we hide it or move through it as quickly as possible. And there's a lot of judgment and shame around feeling those difficult emotions. And I wanted to share this great quote by Francis Weller, who wrote the book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow, Rituals of Renewal and the Sacred Work of Grief. He says, I am not suggesting that we live a life preoccupied with sorrow. I am saying that our refusal to welcome the sorrows that come to us, our inability to move through these experiences with true presence and conscious awareness, condemns us to a life shadowed by grief. Welcoming everything that comes to us is the challenge. This is the secret to being fully alive. So, just honoring that we are all going to experience grief at different times. And this is because our energy is meant to pulse. It contracts and expands. And we're not meant to stay open. We're meant to close at times. And the amount of grace that we can bring to this process of dipping in and out of our positive and negative experiences is really what we want to learn how to cultivate is that ability to move between them, to hold them even simultaneously, to actually embrace and go into our grieving while maintaining that deeper knowing of our oneness and our interconnection, to feel in the depths of our soul the, the separation and the struggle and the sorrows while experiencing and staying in touch with the depth of our joy and our connection and our belongingness. This is how we can increase our vitality. This is how we can fully experience what we're here to experience in the full range. So just to consider this, that we want to be able to really be in that pulsation, that we're not here to avoid one end or the other. And to get out of grief as quickly as possible isn't really the point. It's to experience it as thoroughly and with as much resource as possible to modulate that in the ways that we need to while also moving through what we need in order to really grow. And there's a really beautiful story that illustrates this that I wanted to share. And I found, I came across this story in one of the old handouts I had for the Polarity Energetic Communications class, which I'm actually about to teach in a couple of days here in Olympia, Washington. And this story is called The Butterfly. There is a person who finds a cocoon of a butterfly, and one day a small opening appears. 
They sit and watch the butterfly for several hours as it struggles to force its body through the little hole until it seems to stop making any progress. It appears as though it could go no further. This person decides to help the butterfly. So they take a pair of scissors and snip off the remaining bit of the cocoon. The butterfly then emerges easily, but it has a swollen body and small shriveled wings. The person continues to watch the butterfly because they expect that at any moment the wings will enlarge and expand and be able to support the body, which would contract in time, but neither happens. In fact, the butterfly spends the rest of its life crawling around with a swollen body and shrivel wings. It is never able to fly. What this person, in their kindness and haste, does not understand is that restricting the cocoon and the struggle required for the butterfly to get through the tiny opening is the way that the fluids get forced from the body of the butterfly into its wings so that it can be ready for flight once it has achieved its freedom from the cocoon. Sometimes our struggles are exactly what we need in our life. And if we go through our life without any obstacles, it would cripple us. We would not be as strong as we could have been and we could never fly. We can trust our own process, even the uncomfortable, terrible, struggling parts. And we can be patient with ourselves in those moments, remembering that those two are necessary experiences. And I wanna just invite you now to just tune into your own ether as you consider this, to your own throat center maybe taking a breath and allowing the words that I'm speaking to just wash over you for a moment as we invoke the ether element, tuning into that continuum of grief and bliss that resides there, bringing your awareness into your body and the sensations and to the subtle body that resides within and around your physical body. And in this location, in the throat center, we have the seat of our truth and our ability to be expressed authentically. And here we can open up, we can be heard, we can be seen and witnessed, and we can deeply listen to others with our whole being, to our own guidance our inner guidance as well. And in our throat center, when our energy is flowing, we can experience incredible connection, a blissful sense of oneness as we merge with the vast universal awareness that is us. And then there will be moments when our energy will contract, when we will move into a cycle of smallness and we may feel alone or far away, or helpless, or constricted, and that's okay too. And we're just gonna say hello to the grief and to the old grief that might be there. And we're going to acknowledge that we're here 
to experience the full range of our humanness, that we're here to be both vast and separate. And that the gift is that when we can hold both of these poles and slide between them with fluidity, then we can experience ourselves as that single drop in the ocean, separate from the rest, while simultaneously knowing and feeling and experiencing ourselves as the entire ocean itself. We are both. I'm going to share this poem from the Soul Care Workbook on ether. Space, sound, form, grief, the unborn, star-filled nights and open vistas, imperfections and reflections, choking notions, ohm-filled oceans of renewal, space, oneness and separation, the hollows, the bellows, the hallowed places, whole, spacious, graciously returning to center, to now, flying through infinity, sparkling with purity, vibing with the frequency of luminosity, invoking, yoking, all things, no things, the creative spark, stark and empty, full of neutrality, unlimited possibilities, space. As I move into this conversation with Kelly Watkins, I invite you to listen, enjoy yourself. This is a fun conversation. She's a very fun person as we explore and splash around in the topic of grief. You have, Kelly, an incredible perspective that's really rare and sacred and special. And so, because, you know, a lot of us have our own grief and some of us get extra loads of that. And then there's those of us who show up and hold space for other people's grieving in all kinds of ways. And you are one of those people that have been specifically on the planet holding space for all kinds of grieving for, for decades, maybe your entire life. Have you, when you were little, were you doing this? I think you were. I was. And thank you. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. I think I was about four years old doing an animal cemetery. My friend Carol and I like go walking up and down the alleys to find a dead animal. Because we wanted to bury him. We wanted to say a prayer. We wanted to make a cross. And we wanted to have some kind of special thing. Because, oh my gosh, poor thing died. And who's going to do this? I don't know what the feeling was. But it was something, you know, it felt like some important job that we needed to do. Yeah. So my mom found out. And she was, you know, a little grossed out. (laughs) She was a little grossed out by it. Yeah. I think that's really cool. But I love that that you did that and that that's sort of been a theme throughout your life. And I know that you spent a long time 
working in this field of death. And I know that you've spent a long time also working in the field of, of birth. Do you want to say anything about your life experience in relationship to grief or how that's taken you to where you are now? Yeah. So I think that having a mom that died when I was young certainly ignited something. I was about 22 when she died and, you know, little babies and you just kind of want that older layer ahead of you. And if it's not there, then you're a little, you know, I don't want to say broken, but it definitely shapes who you become. And in some ways, I think the death work that I've done is still tending to that pain that I have, you know, of course, but also I'm fascinated by <laughs> how little attention we put towards something that is basically the, one of the largest moments of our life. Like we have to literally muster up the courage to say goodbye to everything we love, every person we love, every feeling we love, every emotion, every experience, every food, every orgasm, every whatever, it all goes away and nobody wants to talk about it for good reason. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm a sucker for the underdog and I'm bummed that nobody wants to walk arm in arm with death. It's just the ultimate. And this is the story of your life. How are you going to fit everything in in this little thing? And if you don't, what happens? And if you do, what happens? And how do you walk with other people that are saying goodbye to literally all the things that they have loved in their lifetime? So I guess mostly I just wish that maybe now my biggest platform is that I want people to feel really um like they're good stewards to humans and that they, they want to help people through the really difficult things that maybe nobody has been able to help them through and just how to be a good community member through caring for one another with death and birth, you know, that whole gig. Yeah. So I was a nurse. I, my mom died when I was 22. I started nursing school the day after her funeral per her order, <laughs> per her orders. And then did labor and delivery for a good eight years and then did hospice for another eight years. And it had, you know, that weird experience of seeing those as both the same job, you know, the same experience, the same veil for sure. Somebody's coming in, somebody's going out. They both have about as much information, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of cool. It's really like a beautiful thing. And, um, I just tr love trying to find as many ways as I can to wiggle that into whatever it is I'm doing in the world at the time. Yeah. Well, and I know that you've been also leading some morning circles and that's morning, not good morning. Not good morning. I did have one person show up for it thinking it was a good morning circle and it was a cry morning circle. So I might. Might change the name. <laughs> well, I know that you've been doing that, which is really beautiful. I mean, there are grief circles, but I love, I actually love the idea of mourning as a communal practice, as something that we could come together and do to mourn together is really a beautiful thing. And you're working with all kinds of people with all kinds of grief. And you do that in private practice and you do that in groups. And 
I know that you know some things about that. In addition to walking with your own grief, I know like you've been dealing with cancer. You have had multiple mothers die recently. You were mentioning that when we first got on here. <laughs> that sounds weird. Multiple mothers. <laughs> I had a remarkable set of mothers. There's no denying it. And so their absence is definitely felt right now. And propelling me more into this subject and more into honoring like our ancestors before they become dead ancestors. Like we want to really capture these humans that shape us and soak, soak them in before they're gone. Yeah. Our culture is a little funny about that, but yes, I have definitely, uh, I had one of my, my, Ex-mother-in-law was 97. My other <laughs> mother-in-law was 87. And um, I think my stepmom was up in her late 70s. But such a contrast from my mom mom who died at 55. Yeah. And now I'm kind of doing this. I, I don't feel like I'm dying right this minute, but I have been diagnosed with a blood cancer that they consider incurable three years ago. And let me just say, I thought, wow, man, this fits. I'm going to really, really know how to handle myself being diagnosed with cancer because I'm really knowledgeable. <laughs> you know where that's going. Yeah. I just suck. I'm not good at it. It's not the same thing <laughs> to walk in your own finiteness. There, there's something in there, of course, but it's a whole different experience to have courage or to be clear and communicate and know what you need and, oh, and to do it, you know, alone is, uh, I mean, like without a partner, it's just really a trip, but as we know, there's no accident. So I'm walking this thing, really trying to hear, you know, the information and then transmute it or, or recreate it or do it in a new recipe so that it's helpful before I croak. You know, I'm going to have some really helpful wisdom that can bubble up to the surface for everyone, for my kids especially. Getting to hear you talk about your life and your walk and your path and where you are now is so humbling to me. I just feel in awe of all that you have done and are. You have a breadth of experience and knowledge when it comes to this topic specifically of grief and a way of acknowledging and holding space for the importance of grieving and acknowledging our grief. And I just... I just wanted to give you an opportunity to speak to that because there's people who are listening who have grief. We all have grief. You know, it, it actually makes me want to kind of choke up just thinking about <laughs> how much grief we all have in all the different ways that we carry it, you know, that we accumulate it just from being born. It's difficult being human. And there's all kinds of difficulties that come up along the way. And we're not, we're not taught how to deal with it. We're not really given those tools. And maybe at some point in history, they were preserved and passed down from our elders. But like you were saying, in our current culture, our elders are not 
valued in the way that they could be and their wisdom and all that they have walked through and accumulated and learned is not necessarily sought after in the way that it could be. I guess my point is that it, it's it's difficult to be human. We all have grief and we don't really know how to do that. You know, I think most people could be better at it. I could be better at it. And I mean, I, I've thought a lot about it, you know, uh, just in a polarity context, of course, how to hold space for the whole spectrum of experience that we we get to have. But specifically that one, grief in and of itself, relating to the ether element, the throat chakra. In the polarity model, and I'll just say that, that there's, there's the positive pole and the negative pole emotion associated with every element or chakra. And for ether, the positive pole would be that sense of total oneness, blissed out connectedness with spirit. And for the negative pole, it would be grief. And then, and that's not bad. It's just like the, the other end of the pole, <laughs> right? I would, I would rather say South pole and North pole than positive negative in this context, actually. It's true. Yeah. It's a giant continuum too. I think that it's, you aren't in touch with that part of your identity until you experience grief and loss. And that becomes just like a part of your soul then. And I think it changes in it, in expression, maybe in potency. And sometimes still, I mean, my mother's been gone for 33 years. Sometimes I'll pop open the fresh sheets from the dryer and just fall to my knees bawling like a baby because I need my mom. Yeah. And that's really hard for us to accept in our culture where we really want to kind of have a remedy for everything. We want to smooth things and have it be, um, you know, we, we just want an antidote. <laughs> it's such a bummer. And I'm really enjoying this process, maybe not for the last three years, but certainly in and out of it, of just uh just devoting my heart to that part as well like just the real disturbance of like i'm just so sad and i'm just so bummed out and i'm also so so hopeful and happy and like gosh wouldn't that be interesting if i just have one of those like miraculous healings and i'm totally down for it but it's hard to walk with this new set of circumstances or this new feeling in your body or this new absence of brain power or, you know, whatever the things are that finiteness brings yeah. <laughs> to your experience. It's probably a little bit the same for everyone because it's just, a. I don't think I've ever tended to a person that was dying that expected on, on some level. I don't think that we walk around going, I bet it's around the corner. You know, I think it just shows up and you go, oh, shit. Whoa, I don't know how to walk with the end of me. I don't know what that even means. Yeah. I would say that I've never really seen grief being expressed in the same way. Really, really. And even when our parents died, each of my five siblings had a completely different version of what acclimating to life was 
you know, yeah, and all of the little things that you get to patch up the holes of energy leaking out of your life. Right. Sometimes booze, sometimes a bike, you know, different tools. And, and when I think of tending energetically or being a doula, a life doula to your soul, like, what is that? And really just is a lot of patience and a lot of listening, which is what we have been trained for, you and I. We're trained to listen and have patience. Yeah. I love that, that nobody does it the same way. And that even within our own experience, it's not linear. And it's, it, it, there's no remedy. It's something that we have to learn how to be with as opposed to get through. And that it does change and evolve and become easier at different times. Yet there's no way to, to just say this is what it is or this is how it will be. We're always a little blind with it. We really are. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I guess that comes from a lot of different things. But what I'm, what I have a challenge with is equipping, like the idea or the notion that you could equip the people that will be grieving for you. Like, is there something that you can do? Is there some part of the puzzle that you can capture and live while you're here in your life and in your relationships? Is there healing to be done before you're dead? That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at right now. I was like, okay, how do I do that in a way that's healthy for everyone? Yeah. To revisit parenting errors or to revisit life mistakes or whatever. What do, I mean, I'm, we all have tons of it. And some people are like, dude, I don't need to go back. I'm good with whatever I chose and how I'm living and what I believe and who I hurt and whatever, whatever. Like, that's just what I did. And I don't feel like, I have a million apologies to do, but I'm darn sure curious and hopeful and interested if maybe we could find some soft water to kind of float around in and be like, let's talk about some of that, like the experiences that you had that created pain in your life, but also so that we can untangle some of our knots so that we can untangle some things and have a deeper understanding of what some of those memories were or instances or you know wow that just sounds like such a gift and you know just in that thought of like we're all going to die at some point wouldn't it be good if we lived like that just making sure that we're untangling all of our knots clearing up any of the misconstrued things places we've unintentionally caused harm to go back and do those repairs in our life i i feel inspired i had this idea on that vein when i reached out to you recently i was just sitting in bed the other morning and suddenly it occurred to me i was thinking about this topic of grief and grieving and how do we do it well how do we do it thoroughly how do we do it with the most possible consciousness and attention and to just really, really be good at grieving. How do we do that? What does that take? And then I started to think about really why 
why is this something that we don't consider until we have a death sentence or, or until we're in the throes of it ourselves? Why aren't we doing more preventative grief work? And especially why aren't we teaching our children these skills in school or before they even get to school? Because children often grieve openly and thoroughly. They're, they're pretty good at it, actually, Perfect. when they're little. And it's only over time as we get older that we start to separate from our truths, our authentic experience and our authentic ability to process our experiences. And what if we were to like help them stay with that innate ability to grieve? <laughs> what would the adult world look like if we weren't told to stop crying and do the, you know, get it together or... Yeah. And think about all the times that we grieve that doesn't have anything to do with death. We're grieving all the time. Yeah. We don't really know how. Yeah. I mean, maybe we do. Maybe it is. Maybe the right way is to lay down and kick your feet and vomit when you cried so hard. Yeah. Well, certainly that's a right way. I think that probably the right way would be, I'm guessing that the right way to grieve would be whatever feels the most right to you in the moment. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And it has changed quite a few times. You know, it just does. Grief changes. And especially when you access a new resource that you didn't have, and then you kind of rise up a little and then something brings you down and, you know, you shuffle over to the East or the West with your grief. <laughs> but I do think that it there is some really helpful information and that, um, Grief doesn't have to be an overwhelming idea. We're already living with grief anyway. It's just a, a new way to maybe hold it for yourself and hold it for others. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that I think about, so in polarity, there is that continuum of the whole spectrum of experience within each of the elements. And for the ether, as we mentioned, it's grief or as an experience of blissful interconnectedness on the other end of that continuum, but they're related. And one thing that I really love about the ether element in particular is in the, the medicine wheel, we have the four directions. Ether is sort of the whole wheel itself. It contains everything. And there's this sense of that when you go into ether, you're touching all the things and you're holding all the things. And so when I think about grief in particular as an experience or even bliss as an experience and total interconnectedness, there is on that continuum, this feeling of being in touch with all the things at once. It's so funny. You can think I'm a big dork, but I ha I make appointments for my grief now. I really do because I, you know, I'm kind of a pretty dramatic human being, and I really like to cause a big some chaos. I just do. <laughs> I like to feel it so loud and big and bold. But I just make appointments. It for a long time. It's been Thursday at six, and then at six o'clock I say okay, and I I mean probably before six I'll start getting my situation. It's bath usually, and I call it a wailing bath. 
and I put baking soda and I put salt and I put Epsom salts and I'll put sometimes some essential oils. Bergamot is really good, I think, for like just allowing stuff to, for me. Yeah. And sometimes my tuning forks and sometimes I'll just put on some great music and sometimes absolutely nothing. But I just know that that particular time is for me to really be genuine with what my heart feels like and not to feel embarrassed about letting it rip and just like really going into it. And sometimes it's that chaotic without a lot of structure to it, but sometimes I really want to get better and I want to like take what I'm hearing and feeling and transform it into something that could be useful. So getting in the tub while it's empty and then putting the plug in and filling it and then doing your whaling bath. And then when you uh, pull the plug, you stay in the tub and you keep whaling if you have it in you. Yeah. So the idea is that it's going out of the tub, going out of your body. And it has been unbelievably helpful to just, um, maybe it's just saying it's important enough to me that I'm going to show up for it every single week, no matter what, even if it's ridiculous. Even if that's not what other people do, I just get in the bath and cry my head off and it's helping me. Yeah. Well, and I know that you mentioned you've been doing this with others too. You have shared this tool with other yeah. people that you work with. I do. I work, I work for a nonprofit in Arizona that does a 16 week program with all kinds of different traumas, but, uh, some really gnarly stuff. So a lot of really deep grief and many humans, you know, especially in the United States are not like we've been saying, we just don't, we don't validate grief. We think that means we're wimpy or we think that we should have our crap together in order to not feel that, or that there's something that other people have that we don't, that helps us be stronger. I don't know what all of that is. It's probably a million different things. But I think just saying, I have your back. I know you're hurting. I'm going to be here with you while you cry it out. I don't have any answers, but I definitely care about us enough to hold hold this. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that tool. I think that could be really useful for some people. What do you do for your grief? I know you paint your grief. I definitely yeah. think that art is a huge outlet for me for all the range of emotions. And, you know, specifically when I think about grief, absolutely like creating, crying, singing, you know, yeah. singing is as a helpful tool for me. But you know, I'm not in a place in the moment in my life where I'm doing a lot of active grieving. I have been there. I visit grief and I definitely hold space for it with other people. It's not something I'm I'm daily tending in the moment, but that's just where I'm at in the moment. <laughs> I certainly have. And I when I have been in acute states of, of grieving, I can recall that there were so many emotions there that that remind me of that hoop of the medicine wheel of the the way that grief contains all the things like there was anger there was frustration there was helplessness there was disgust 
you know, yeah. there were all these other emotions that, that were really part of that grief soup. And it was super bitter, you know, <laughs> it did not taste good at all. And I didn't want to eat it or chew it up. You know, I didn't want to digest that. It was just like, blah. It's something that I personally, in my experience of acute grieving, wanted to get it out. And so finding ways to get it out with, you know, sound or movement, you know, running has been helpful. I've had a lot of runs where I'm crying and yelling while I'm running. And that's really great. That would be good. I run to move energy. I paint, I create to move energy, but, and to like, to be in the experience for sure. Painting is really helpful for that. It helps me to like, to really view it from different angles, take a good deep look at things. And then I see things that I didn't see before. And maybe the value in that for me personally is that I can honor it as a whole picture. It gives me a chance to step back and see it in a new light. And then I can really appreciate that there's even beauty there, you know, that the bliss is in the grief. And at some point, if you go through it deeply enough, there is this lovely blissful place on the other side, this sort of soft floaty feeling. Well, our teacher says, hang out in the fire long enough and you'll s slip on into the softest water you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It's our, our natural desire to just step out of the discomfort. And I, I don't mean like stay in it and celebrate it and then belong to it like you're in a, a club because I do that too. I definitely sign up for grief. And I believe what that is, is a storage container of things that you didn't quite know how to process through for your life. And so now maybe they need a little extra attention or, you know, you're still learning this part that you weren't listening to for a few decades. The word that I think about it is wholeness. I feel like intimacy with yourself has to involve catastrophic grief you know the knock you to your knees i can't catch my breath grief and that you find pieces of yourself and definitely some compassion that is inaccessible otherwise if you don't fall down and grind your face into the asphalt a little i definitely feel you there about the whole the holism in that there is something about going in to the center of a thing and eventually it's all the things are there. Or that on the large, you know, the huge reverberated level, that's what an enlightened person is. Somebody that just sits in the drop of the thing and goes, yeah, uh -huh. it's revolting and gorgeous and disgusting and disturbing and lovely. So I think what I'm saying is that it's a, it's an intimate walk that you sign up for and you definitely want to take it. And what you will find is something that we don't even have language for. And fullness, if I could say that, it's like tiny little molecules and little tiny threads of all the parts of yourself you didn't even know you were missing. And then you get to just sit there and hold that and know that you're safe. I love the wailing tub and I love just 
so many things that you shared about just being with yourself and that it's that it is a unique experience to everyone and that we get to just learn it on our own really nobody can tell us how to do it there are no maps or how to grieve right that we have to figure that out on our own and yet there are you know some tools i think in polarity the probably the biggest tool i could think of is how to be in neutrality how to come to all of our experiences from a place of curiosity and openness and not needing to change it and having an an ability to just allow things to be what they are and that leads me to a place of trust of really deeply trusting that we do have this innate intelligence that is is organized in a way beyond our knowing and that our experience and everything that we go through has some organizational factors to it as well and i like to think from that place and polarity when i come to my clients with that consciousness or come to my own suffering with that consciousness i feel better it's like there's this relief this sense of well I know that there's something right about this, even if I don't know what that is. And I know that I have what I need, even if I don't know what that is in the moment. And I know that I'm here to meet this, that this is part of my journey. I'm meant to do this and that it's growing me in the direction that I need to be growing, even if it looks completely wrong. I know that through the perspective of polarity and that philosophy that it's always right on some level it can't be wrong if you're having the experience it's the experience you're supposed to be having and to just come at it with that total neutrality of this is the experience i'm having and to be in it and be with it so totally and completely it can't help but open up that was astonishingly gorgeous i like everything that you just said and it's all exactly right it's exactly how i it is for me. And in our polarity world, it's funny, you just made me realize a, a new way that I've been in accessing neutrality. You know how it is in our work. Sometimes we it's not so easy to be neutral, especially around a subject or something or a person that we care deeply about. So I, if I can just throw this out there since you brought it up, this is another thing that I used to do with my clients when they were um, in their stages of pain or in their stages of losing some function in their bodies or physicality. And it's funny how much it fits our work now. And it's actually how I do fulcrums on when I'm about to begin a session. I do this thing now where it's almost like the 3D posters that we used to have where you stare off, but I will name all the things I see. I'll say computer screen, the curtains, the blind, this furniture, that notebook, and I'm absorbing every single thing that I see in its full capacity. And that tree that's six miles away and the moon and the thing and that bird that just flew by. And I'll just hold that pattern of the everythingness the everything bagel. <laughs> and I'll just hold that for literally 30 seconds. And it's almost like a vector. 
And then I'm in my neutrality. I'm like in the driver's seat of everything's okay. It's all existing all at once. It's all perfect. Everything's right here, right now. And I don't know, it's a funny little thing. It just opens up a new room in my experience. So it sounds to me like you're describing a way of attuning to yourself that rather than attuning to having an earth or some idea of, you know, your spirit in the center of your body or some breath or something else that we might use, right? Or go to your attuning by your energy and yourself to the present moment and to everything that's in the field that's vis visible to you. And there's something that just like puts you into the place of where you are. And yeah, I, I mean, it's funny because when I used to teach clients that are in the hospice world, I would probably be in bed with them, which is really against the rules, <laughs> but that's probably where I would start is being next to somebody to see what the perspective is that they're having. You could also do a chair. You could just be there with yourself and just uh, begin naming things. And with the intention, I would say, before you start with the intention that you're going to try to enter the room of everythingness and see what that feels like. You're not trying to find anything. Just see if you can access that cellular memory in your body of being completely okay for just one, just for a second with everything that you're aware of in your field. And Lord knows there's a million things we aren't aware of in our field, but just I'll start just naming things from the perspective that this person is here with, with me. And then they'll start saying, I hear a car. I feel the wind. Um, my stomach hurts. I see the bird, you know, and just calling everything out that you could possibly see in your visual field and adding to it and adding to it and adding to it until you think you've got it all. And it's almost like a cross-eyed feeling, maybe. Like maybe you're just staring with everything coming in in symphony. Mm -hmm. But I think everybody's experienced that staring away feeling or staring out into space thing where you can't wake up, you can't get out. It's that. It's that that you're trying to capture, but you're inducing it in maybe you could say you're inducing your own still point it's beautiful it feels to me like an etheric tool it feels like when you are trying to accept that all things can exist and all are existing with or without your permission and that you have a place that's perfect and that there is a sequencing that you aren't aware of and that there is motion and movement and intelligence like you said working on your behalf so all that you're doing right now is to try to find the muscle to get in that place i think people that are deep meditators have um you know really easy tricks of getting themselves into that place and maybe it is the same place for me i'm probably thinking of something a little more um conscious maybe or like workable from my perspective, it helps with accepting life. Mm. Yeah. So whenever we're in a place, if we have something going on that is worthy of grieving, or if we have ever experienced something that is um, throwing us off our game a little bit, right? And we're needing to 
find a way through the experience that we're having emotionally, physically, mentally, whatever it might be, then one way is through this etheric tool that you're describing, one way to ground or center or find acceptance is to just start to name the things in your that are in your visual field and to become aware of all the sensations and all of the things. It's a way of becoming fully present. And that through that presence, we come to a natural state of sort of more acceptance or neutrality, right? And neutrality, and neutrality is just that. It's the absence of a charge, right? We feel charged in a negative way, or we can feel charged in a positive way too. But neutrality is that that experience of not being charged about anything, of being in totally present with and in acceptance of and in observation of what is. Right? Beautiful. Yes. And that's a good place to be, especially in terms of, you know, when we're, when we have something really big going on or when we are wanting to honor grief in ourselves or with another or for another, then it can be helpful to tune into that as a tool, right? That way of how do we find acceptance in all things? And it starts with the, the here and the now and the basic what's in front of you, what's really happening, just what is this? And like we were saying earlier, of course, if you can get really, really, truly, deeply present with just what is, everything is there. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And I mean, grief aside, we could call everything that exists on a Tuesday grief right now. The world is full of reasons for grief, of course, but we becoming neurologically resilient sounds so delicious. And I think that's what any of these things with our polarity worlds will definitely reveal is like, wow, you can become really strong in your mesh. You can become really strong in the invisible ways that just make life feel supported and you didn't do an action to get it. You're just growing neurologically and nervous system. And I that that exercise that we just talked about that to me is in that lane it's in that vicinity of I'm just becoming strengthened with my invisible mesh I don't even know what that means but I'm becoming my baseline is now 3.5 instead of minus two yes yes and I'm buoyant and I'm bouncy and I'm a little plump most days and I can feel something all the way to its fullness and then I still let it roll well Yeah. And to me, that's like, I'd rather have that than just about any superpower. They calm in a storm, genuinely. Wow, I really have those ingredients. It's not to say like it sucks to fold at the knees. I do that too. I think it's all related. Yeah, I love that. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts and your wisdom and some of your experience and tools. So thank you. Thank you. We're all alone. And we're all 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A Lone Traveler's Guide to the Divine. And if you found this episode to be helpful, inspiring, supportive at all, please share it with someone you think would appreciate it and consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. That would just mean so much to me. If you would like to learn more about Kelly Watkins, you can check out my website, elevationhive.com slash Kelly Watkins. I have an entire page dedicated to her awesomeness, and you can learn more about her morning circles and getting private session work with her online. I also have a link in the show notes to my book, which you can purchase on amazon.com. And you can learn more about my upcoming classes in polarity therapy, energy medicine, and dream work that are all listed on my website at elevationhive.com. I appreciate your energy and participation in listening, and it is such an honor to be in sacred community with you. Thank you. We're